The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. This hour of the Costa Report is brought to you by Dole Food Company, the world's leading producer and distributor of fresh fruits and vegetables. Welcome to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and thank you for joining me for another two hours of Straight Talk Radio. I want to take a moment to welcome veterans and military personnel who are joining us from remote outposts around the world. Thank you for being with us again. My guest this hour is the former director of the National Security Agency and Central Intelligence Agency, General Michael Hayden. In just a moment, the general will be joining us to weigh in on the controversy over warrantless surveillance as well as recent breaches in security. But before Mr. Hayden joins us, as is my custom each week, let me tell you a little bit about his background. Michael Vincent Hayden was born in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania to an Irish-American family, one of three children. He is an avid Pittsburgh Steelers fan, largely owing to one of his first jobs as an equipment manager for the Steelers. Mr. Hayden earned his undergraduate and graduate degrees in history from Duquesne University and took part in the University of Pittsburgh's Air Force Reserve Officer Training Corps. He entered active military service in 1969 and during his 39-year career rose to the rank of four-star general. Hayden served as commander of the Air Intelligence Agency, director of the Joint Command and Control Warfare Center, deputy chief for the United Nations Command and U.S. Forces in Korea, and held senior positions at the Pentagon, U.S. European Command, and the National Security Council. In 1999, Mr. Hayden became the director of the National Security Administration, where he is known to have instituted major reforms throughout 2005. Then in 2006, he was overwhelmingly confirmed and sworn in as the director of the Central Intelligence Agency, a position he faithfully served for three years. I'd like to add that while conducting our research on General Hayden's background, we discovered that he has been the recipient of more than three dozen of our country's highest awards and commendations. And so I admit to you that once we hit 35 of them, well, we stopped counting. Uh, Today, Mr. Hayden is a private security expert and consultant, as well as a visiting professor at George Mason University. It's my honor to welcome to the program a great patriot and straight shooter, General Michael Hayden. Welcome to the program, General. General Hayden? Yep. I'm here. There you are. Okay. <laughs> well, the, well, thank the, you very much, and, and thank you for your kind words. Well, thank you for being with us today. Uh, if it's all right with you, I'd like to make good use of our time together and jump right into the issue of uh, telephone and other surveillance, which by all accounts appears to be lawful and was just reconfirmed by the Congress this past week. Uh, according to the NSA, um, they've been keeping Congress informed all along. So is this controversy more of a case of media hysteria than it is a question of civil rights, in your view? Well, no, there, there, are, there are important civil liberties questions involved here. and I, Even somebody with my background wouldn't, wouldn't minimize that. Uh-huh. That said, though, Rebecca, what, what's happened is this has all been kind of shoved out the door in a bit of a stew, and so you, you, you've got stories about a program called PRISM. You've mm-hmm. got stories about the metadata telephone information, which is the one that was voted on this past week in the House of Representatives. Yes. And frankly, I think a lot of Americans just aren't clear exactly what it is that's going on. And I've always been of the belief that that if we can make it clear to our citizens, most of them would find this to be lawful and appropriate and I think very effective. Well, help us make it clear today then. Okay, let's start with let's start with telephones. All right, um, what's involved here in in this program is is what we in the in the National Security Agency used to call metadata. Mm-hmm. This is data about communication. So, just by way of a metaphor, if we're talking about physical communications, this would be the outside of the envelope. 
not not the content of the letter. And and what the agency has been doing now, uh, under a court order since 2006, has been going to most American telecommunication providers, the big firms I think your listeners are familiar with, mm-hmm. and in essence, getting a copy of their billing records. These, I mean, these. this isn't electronic surveillance. This isn't being picked up on a wire. This is stuff that these major companies collect for their own purposes. But under a warrant from the court, they now provide this information to the National Security Agency. Now, Rebecca, not to trivialize this, there's a lot of information. We're talking about billions um, and billions of calling events that are stored. So, for example, you and I, right now, we're going to end up in that database before the day's out. All right? Now, now all it's going to say is, my number here in Washington, your number there, uh, was in contact the call began a few minutes before 5 Eastern time and lasted probably about 55 minutes. And that will go into the database. Now, what happens from there? Well, not, first of all, not very much. And here's the important part, Rebecca. Even if you're concerned about the government owning this much data, and, you know, we all come from the same political culture. We're, you know, we're, we're all afraid of government overreach. Mm-hmm. The real question now is, what becomes the data? And, and in fact, it gets locked down. And the, this data, and as I said before, it's quite an ocean there, this data can only be approached by a limited number of people and only under certain rules. Um, right now, the number of people at NSA who are authorized to touch this ocean of data is just over 20. Mm-hmm. Now, let me give you an example. And now, what are they doing? Are they looking for patterns? Are, do they have search no. algorithms that are saying, okay, no. after Rebecca got done talking to General Hayden, she picked up the phone and made a uh, suspicious call to the Middle East, to five countries in the Middle East, uh, and okay. was on the phone for another 15 hours. Are they looking for these kinds of patterns? Yes and no, the way you described it. We don't, we don't launch search engines. We don't launch complex algorithms in there with the belief of, you know, X, Y, or Z is a, is a terrorist communications pattern. What we do, and let me, let me just give you a concrete example. Mm-hmm. Let, let's, say, let's say we capture someone we believe to be affiliated with al-Qaeda somewhere overseas. And, you know, he's, he's got material on him that, that clearly this is a man of great concern. And, and he's got a cell phone, a cell phone we've never seen before. Mm-hmm. Well, what we get to do is go to that ocean of data, and simply ask, and I'm being a little cartoonish here, but we, we get to ask, is there any calling activity inside this database that reflects a contact with this phone that we now know to be associated with an Al-Qaeda affiliate? And, and Rebecca, if, again, being cartoonish here, if this uh, phone number in the Bronx kind of timidly raises its hands and says, well, yeah, I talk to it every Thursday. We get to ask that phone number in the Bronx, and who do you and your friends talk to? And, Rebecca, I have now exhausted everything the federal government can do with that database. Right. Now, this has been successful. You've made the case that uh, there was a case of a cell phone that was discovered in, I believe, uh, Waziristan. Is that right? Uh, I I think what we've got here is is a follow-on to the Najibul Azazi plot, which mm-hmm. was somebody in Denver driving to Manhattan to attack the subway system there. Yes. Uh, there are multiple intelligence threads, but one thread that connected Zazi to an accomplice was based upon this information, this metadata information. So yes. it has proven to be successful at thwarting certain terrorist attacks. We, we do have a track record of this metadata being used successfully. Oh no, we do, and and you've got you've got Mike Rogers, chairman of the House Intel Committee, uh, senior Democrat on the committee, Dutch Rupersberger, saying that's true. You've got Senator Feinstein and Senator Chambliss, their counterparts in the Senate, saying that's true. You've got General Keith Alexander, the director of NSA, 
uh, saying that's true. Let me let me give you a, a, a real world example that might really drive this. Well, we're going to have to go to a commercial break, so I'm going to ask you okay. to save that real world example uh, for the other side yeah. of the break. But I, I do want to say that people, I think you you make a really important point, and it's one that I really want to stress to our listeners. I think what creates fear is lack of knowledge. When we don't have the specifics, when we don't have clarity, we get nervous about what the government is doing. And so I think that uh, the opportunity to have you speak to people and to clarify what that made it, metadata is is a, is a great gift that you give people that are listening across the country today. All right, we're going to take that commercial break, and we'll be right back with General Hayden. You're listening to the Costa Report. This Legal Minute is brought to you by Nolan, Hammerley, Etienne, and Haas. Experienced attorneys providing professional legal services to the Central Coast for 85 years. Hello, this is attorney Stephen Wagner with your Legal Minute. Have you ever said to yourself there ought to be a law for that? Well, often there is. In this segment, I will address the issue of social media and hiring practices, and specifically the potential employer's right to snoop around in social media networks to gather information about the potential employee. From the employer's perspective, social networking sites must seem like a treasure trove or petri dish, overflowing with valuable information. The hot-button legal issue that has arisen recently relates to the employer's request, or worse yet, demand for the candidate's password and or username. It is this conduct by the employer that has sparked outcry and controversy based on privacy rights, and this has led to legislation and the enactment of laws that now prohibit employers from making such demands or requests. Such is the case in California and several other states. It would now seem that the lid has been placed back on the Petri dish. However, it is important to note that employers still have a right to access all public information. That is, anything the potential or current employee chooses to share, publish, or make public. In other words, these laws do not protect job seekers from their own stupidity or indiscretions that they decide to gloat about by publishing their escapades on the World Wide Web. So, it seems, that discretion is still the better part of valor. This is Stephen Wagner, and that's your Legal Minute. Brought to you by Nolan Hammerley, Etienne, and Haas. Selected in 2013 as one of the top law firms in the United States by Martindale Hubble. I've been talking about Sleep Number for a while now and how much I love my bed. My goodness, it's made such a tremendous difference in the way both Celeste and I sleep. My Sleep Number bed is up there around 100. I like it nice and firm. Celeste, 80 or so. What's great about the people at Sleep Number, they're always looking for ways to improve the way we sleep. And they've done it again with a memory foam bed. The all-new Sleep Number memory foam bed is a perfect combination of cool contouring foam and the unique adjustability of the Sleep Number bed. Dual air technology. That's what makes their memory foam bed unique. At the heart of the mattress are two individually adjustable air chambers that allow you to personalize your comfort. It's memory foam redefined. You only get this bed at a Sleep Number store. You can enjoy introductory savings of $400 on the all-new Sleep Number memory foam bed. And right now, during their white sale, you can stock up and save on their exclusive bedding collection. There are 400 Sleep Number stores nationwide, but the one you want is on 41st Avenue in Capitola Mall. Say hello to Carlos, the store manager, and be sure and tell him that Charlie Friedman from the Happy Hour program on KSCO is the one who sent you down. Did you hear what happened on the last Saturday special? Drake's Bay Oyster Farm owner Kevin Lunny debated concerned West Marin County resident Bruce Kranzler about whether the oyster farm should be allowed to remain open or be closed down by the government. It was riveting radio to be sure. During the program, Bruce stated Dr. Corey Goodman, the scientist who charged the oyster farm opponents had used false science and lies to make their case to the government, had been discredited. Another lie, says Dr. Goodman who can't wait to have Bruce and as many other of his fellow Oyster Farm opponents go on the radio with him and say that to his face. This is getting pretty serious. It all happens on the next KSCO special this Saturday, 10 a.m. to 12 noon, right here on We're Going to Try Valiantly to Get Through This Program Without Using the Phrase Sneaky Weasels Radio, AM 1080 KSCO. Welcome back to the Costa Report. 
I'm Rebecca Costa, and my guest is the former director of the NSA and CIA, General Michael Hayden. And before the break, we were talking about the controversy over the NSA surveillance activity. So, General, maybe you can help us understand why the government wouldn't just go get a warrant to uh, get this metadata. Is, Is metadata somehow immune from needing a warrant? Well, actually, it could be. But the fact of the matter is, it is, it is provided under a warrant from, from the FISA court since 2006. Now, all that said, uh, the court is held back in 1979 in the case Smith versus Maryland Supreme Court that metadata is not constitutionally protected in that there is no expectation of privacy with regard to metadata since these are business records that frankly, Rebecca, you and I have already agreed to share with the phone company. Yes. And now, but out of a out of out of a concern and, and perhaps uh, excessive caution, uh, our government again since 2006 has decided that we would do this through a court with the court's supervision as to what it is we're getting and how it is we use it. So let's talk a little bit about how this information blew up in the public, um, because it's been going on, as you point out, for a long time. And, you know, I can't think of a better person to ask us to help us understand the difference between whistleblowing and treason, because uh, not only were the, the laws governing treason written a long time ago, and they leave a lot of room for interpretation, but in a sense... Aren't all government employees and contractors who go public with this kind of information in danger of being accused of being a traitor? Well, probably not technically a traitor. There's a fairly narrow definition of that in the Constitution. But, yeah, they would they could be charged with a felony for the unauthorized disclosure of of information that has been appropriately classified. And and so. And if that information's class, if that information is interpreted as posing a threat to the United States in any way, uh, they might even be uh, exposing themselves to the death penalty. If it was designed and actually does aid and abet an enemy, they would get very very vulnerable to that. I actually find it quite surprising that today our Department of Justice announced, I think with an attempt to reassure the Russians, that they would not seek the death penalty if Snowden were, re- were to be returned to the United States. Mm-hmm. So you're right. It's, it's always out there as a possibility. So what's the right way for a whistleblower who discovers wrongdoing by the government to come forward? Well, um, the way I would describe it is you kind of raise your hand and talk to your supervisor. And if you don't get satisfaction there, you talk to his or her supervisor. And, and if that doesn't work, you can go to the inspector general or to uh, the office of legal counsel, your general counsel inside your organization. And then finally, if that doesn't work, and we're talking about my old career field here, uh, intelligence, mm-hmm. you go to Congress. And you, and you insist on talking to a, a staffer or a member of the House or Senate uh, in intelligence committees. Now, Rebecca, the really important thing here is no one believes this is illegal. Um, it's been written in law, reauthorized by the Congress. And as you said, Wednesday night, Congress refused to defund it. Yes. Uh, it's been supported by two incredibly different presidents. The American court system supports it both in declaring it to be lawful and issue the warrants. I mean, in our system of separation of powers among three branches of government, it doesn't get any better than that. Now, having said that it's unarguably legal, I'm quite willing to have a conversation as to whether or not it's wise, but it's not illegal. Well, I think you bring up a good point because uh, it's it was overwhelmingly refunded uh, and uh, and supported inside the government. This is why the first question I asked you is: Is this media hype? Has the media just grabbed with this story and now is just beating it to death? Um, but I, but there's a different issue here, I think, that's at play, and that is how this information gets into the public. I think the media has jumped all over it because it seemed as though it were something secretive or something that was being deliberately hidden from uh, the public's view, and that's the way it was presented in The Guardian. Um, I wanted to ask you about um, this, this bill Henry Waxman introduced in 2007, uh, the H.R. 985, which was known as the whistleblower 
Whistleblower Protection Enhancement Act. And and that in, was intended to create a pathway for folks like Manning and Snowden and others to come forward without going the route that they did, which it, to me is infinitely more harmful. And as but I, as I understand it, maybe, you know, you can clarify this for us. The NSA and other security organizations really opposed 985, um, saying that it's basically going to open the floodgates to every possible accusation. Was that a mistake in hindsight? You know, my instincts are to say no, um, because, you know, we, we, I think we were frightened of what in the private sector would, would be called frivolous lawsuits. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, there, and there is a, a, a clear path for folks who believe there is wrongdoing to, to report it. But, Rebecca, I go back to Snowden's primary accusation which was this metadata program, which was consistent with statute approved by the president and known by the court. So that just wouldn't have gotten any traction as a a whistleblower pointing out something that was unlawful. Again, the the, the issue is whether or not it's wise. Now, obviously, I think it is. But I'm I'm quite willing to, to understand that, you know, we as a people have to decide where that line is between, say, privacy and security, between between liberty and security. And as a servant of the people inside inside government, I'm quite willing to work within whatever line you all give me. But I do want to make the case that you'll be less safe with certain lines than you would be with certain other lines. But once you draw the lines, we got it. That's right. But let's take let's take the uh, course that you outlined. Let's say Snowden went to his boss and said, I, I don't think this is right. I, I don't think it's ethical. I don't think it's moral. I think it should be brought to the public's attention. And his boss says, well, look, it's legal. It's been approved. It's been funded. It's been going on a long time. So he takes it to his boss's boss and he takes it to his boss's boss's boss. And then he goes all on, on up to Congress and they say, yeah, but we approved it. You're, you're pointing out something that's legal. Right. Uh, it would have gone nowhere. So did he really have any other recourse? I guess that's what I'm trying to get at. Uh, if he felt this were unwise as opposed to illegal mm-hmm. and he wanted to make a case about it, yeah, I, I guess he could have tried to grab the ear of members of Congress and, and try to point out to them uh, why they may have been inattentive. Um, why, do they truly understand what it was they have approved? Mm-hmm. But again, it, not about illegal activity. This is more. This is this is truly a political question, not yes. a question of legality. Yes. Uh, and and I fully recognize that's that's a difficult course of action for uh, you know a young man who's twenty nine years old. I I understand. Right. I, I there's something in me that says that at some point the government would be wise to preempt these kinds of rogue activities by actually creating a legitimate pathway if people have complaints. You know, there ought to be some systemic way in which they can come forward. Um, but, you know, I, 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 again, I, I think that's just a difference of opinion that a lot of people have. Um, we're going to take a short break. When we come back, I'd like to talk to you specifically about the Edward Snowden case uh, and, uh, you know, what the ramifications are, because you make a good point that he may have been one of the most dangerous uh, leakers that we've had in U.S. history. You're listening to the Costa Report. Hi, I'm Amy Tobin, cookbook author and culinary expert. Strawberries, blueberries, blackberries, and raspberries. Dole has a bounty of berries ripe for the picking. Fresh berries are not only delicious, but some of the most powerful disease-fighting foods available. Researchers have found that berries have some of the highest antioxidant levels of any fresh fruits. So add a handful or two of your favorite berries to your next meal and enjoy their nutritional benefits and natural sweetness in all of your dishes, from salads to desserts and everything in between. For fresh tips and ideas from Dole's berry experts, visit berries.dole.com. And be sure to check out the pages of mouth-watering recipes. Whether it's a sweet and savory blueberry-cranberry chicken salad or a simple strawberry sorbet, Dole has the perfect berry to inspire your next berrylicious dish. 
Krupp's Restaurant and Flightline Lounge. They were new a year ago. They're still new, but they're better than ever. The menu's been expanded. They still have a great full bar. They're offering specials now five nights a week instead of just one. And also watch the planes come in for landings and takeoffs and enjoy a great salad, appetizer, drink, and a full menu of 10 specialty sandwiches, about a dozen specialty burgers, wonderful specials. Let me give you an example. Their Wednesday night prime rib special, a great 14-ounce cut of prime rib with a baked potato and green beans is only $16. Try beating that. Monday night specials, barbecue ribs. Thursday is surf and turf. Prawns and steak, only $16. Props Restaurant and Flightline Lounge. Open every single day for lunch and dinner. Take the airport boulevard exit off of Highway 1, half a mile down the road to Aviation Way, to your left, and there you are at Props Restaurant and Flightline Lounge. Go, eat, drink, and enjoy. Go on Facebook, look at Props, and make your entry for their new slogan. You might win the first sweatshirt that comes off the line with your slogan on it. Hi, this is Dean Sutton of Sutton Law Firm. We'd like to invite you to consider Sutton Law Firm to help you with your legal problems. Our phone number is 831-431-6483. We emphasize property law, contracts, and business litigation and transactions, evictions, problems with co-ownership, and advice concerning title. Make it easy on your heirs. If something happens to you, if your property's in joint tenancy or you have payable on death accounts, you can save your heirs a lot of trouble. Sutton Law Firm, 831 it's called Business Elite, and there's only one place you can find it on the Central Coast. Hello, I am Melvin Cooper. Business Elite here at Chevrolet of Watsonville means we do everything we need to do to get your business on the road and keep it on the road. And I am Monty Medeiros, manager of Business Elite Commercial Truck Department. With over 20 years of helping Central Coast businesses get the right truck for the right job, I am truly proud of Chevrolet of Watsonville's ability to keep your business rolling. Listen. Hi, this is Rory Odegaard from Watsonville. We recently purchased a 2012 Traverse from Chevrolet of Watsonville. Just want to say we were treated very well by Monty and the rest in there. Very happy with the process. There was no pressure. They had a nice selection. We drove off 24 hours later in our new vehicle. Get your business on the road with the help of the Business Elite Commercial Truck Department here at Chevrolet of Watsonville. And keep your business on the road with special discount pricing on commercial trucks and maintenance. For details, call or click ChevroletofWatsonville.com. We appreciate you giving us an opportunity to earn your business. For the last 60 years, Coast Paper and Supply has been serving locals and businesses for all their cleaning and paper supply needs. With an 1,800-square-foot showroom and nearly 5,000 products, you'll find everything you're looking for in the way of janitorial supplies, retail and industrial packaging, and disposable food service products for business or home, not to mention their huge selection of boxes and shipping supplies. Their family-owned and operated business is located at 151 Josephine on River Street in Santa Cruz. Call 831-423-3350 or visit Coast Paper Supply Inc.com, a proud member of Think Local First. Welcome back to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and my guest today is the former director of the NSA and CIA, General Michael Hayden. Now, General, you've indicated that uh, Snowden may turn out to be one of the most dangerous uh, leakers in American history uh, because he's not only damaging the trust other nations put in our ability to keep information such as private arms and trade agreements, confidential. But he's also revealing how, not just what. So I was hoping you could speak to that for a moment. Sure. Uh, yeah, on several levels, this is, this is, this is quite dangerous. Uh, uh, number one, it's informing adversaries how it is we go about doing our work. And it's, you know, it's not a single source or a, a particular piece of information, as you suggest. It's how we do it, not the what we've discovered. And so what you're doing is affecting the production rate in the future of those things American intelligence might have been able to inform American policymakers about so as to prevent surprise, you know, to, to make it so that they don't have to make those very difficult binary choices when faced with a crisis, but can work on a crisis before, before it takes shape and form. Mm-hmm. I mean, look, besides doing the metadata thing, he talked about PRISM, which was a very successful uh, tool to, to gain the emails uh, of legitimate foreign 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 intelligence value mm-hmm. and then for the life of me why does he reveal allegations that the united states is hacking in the chinese computers or that the the station at menwith hill in england is intercepting vladimir putin's communications 
or the United States is allegedly conducting surveillance in Brazil. What does that have to do with American freedom? What does that have to do with American privacy? So, so number one, there's an operational effect. Secondly, he's fingered a whole bunch of American firms whose only sin in all of this is that they obeyed American law and responded to orders from American courts just the same way they have to respond to orders from German or British or French courts when they're operating uh, in those countries. And I, I fear that a very powerful impact of this will take these American firms, which are responsible for American jobs, and make them non-competitive in the global information technology universe. And then finally, uh, the point you, you raise, who in the world, what other country believes that the United States can keep a secret? And therefore, what other countries will refuse to cooperate with us because they cannot count on our discretion? Those are all pretty harmful things. They are. And as a matter of fact, uh, one of our great constitutional scholars, Floyd Abrams, uh, would agree that the minute that he started talking about uh, U.S. surveillance activity in China and uh, internationally, that he did cross a line and uh, created great damage uh, to the United States in terms of reputation and also security procedures. Um, in many ways, uh, to me, what makes the Snowden leak more dangerous is because unlike, let's say, Daniel Ellsberg or even Manning, the information is not about an event or actions which already took place. But the information Snowden possesses is different because it's not after the fact. And that, to me, is the most troubling. No, no, it really is. And that's, that's a great point. Uh, Ellsberg large volumes of information, but it was historical. Yes. Uh, Manning, pretty much the same way. More recent history, but historical. What Snowden's done is affect the future. It's affected the, the ability of, of the American intelligence community to keep America aware of, well, of, of people and things that could do America harm. Now, now, as far as we know, Snowden's still awaiting asylum in an airport in Russia. And the latest news from his lawyers that he's reading Dostoevsky and Chekhov and he's learning to speak yeah. Russian. And, you know, the, the yeah. PR rumor mill is now going, right? He, he suddenly wants to be a Russian. Um, and, but there seems to be no intention by the Russians to return Snowden back to the U.S. Uh, but now this latest announcement that we've taken the death penalty off the table, do you see some wrangling going on back and forth? I, I, I can't think of a reason why our Justice Department would make such an announcement other than to make it more difficult uh, for, the, for the Russians to do the wrong thing, which is to, to give him asylum. I, I, think, I think what we're trying to do is to take any pretenses the Russians may choose to use to cover their actions, to take them off the table and to make this decision to keep Snowden much more difficult for them to make. Yeah, I, I think that's pretty transparent. Now, can the Russians just punt and say, listen, we're going to offer safe transport to another country that's willing to take them and just, you know, not not deal with this at all? Uh, or do we have a Julian Assange kind of problem where he's trapped at the embassy and any type of transport would require him to go through space where U.S. extradition is enforceable? Yeah, I, I, th I think the, the, the judgment is for the team that's advising Snowden is if they put him on an airplane and try to fly him out of Russia, he's going to enter airspace of countries that are going to want to cooperate with the United States. And the, the odds of his getting to somewhere that's willing to accept them are probably pretty low if he goes by air. He, you know, I mean, the Iranians have put out an offer now. So why don't you come on down and tell us what the Americans are doing to us too? Well, after all, he could drive to Iran if, if the Russians would let him do it, and he wouldn't be subject to intervention by any other country. But um, he's actually in a tough spot. And he's, I mean, isn't this, isn't this amazing? Here's a man who, who, who wants us to believe he's striking a blow for freedom, who, is, who has fled to two of the most tightly governed Internet systems in the world under government surveillance, that of China and that of Russia, and its third preferred place of refuge is Venezuela, which is which is chipping away 
against press freedoms and freedom of the speech. This is this is this is well, it's really hypocritical because he's worried about metadata in the United States that 20 people have access to. And he goes to China, Russia, Venezuela, Iran, where they're monitoring anything. And there's no protection of privacy. There's no guarantee of privacy at all. So there is definitely an irony here. And uh, you you just can't I mean, it just slaps you right in the face. But, you know, but. But Ed, Edward Snowden is basically saying that he has not turned over all this NSA information or these procedures to these foreign governments. But most experts like yourself are saying once he entered these countries, that information was captured either with or without Snowden's knowledge. Is that, Do you think that's pretty much the case? I, I do. I think one has to operate under that assumption. I, I think the way I wrote it, Rebecca, was I would do. I would. I would lose all respect for the Chinese Ministry of State Security and for the Russian FSB if they would have allowed this treasure trove of information on us in their country for extended periods of time, without their harvesting what it is they wanted from it. Yeah, well, they'd have to be pretty inept when they knew that he had it. And uh, he's, you know, the more desperate he gets, I guess, the more he's going to be willing to broker some trade. But boy, I'll tell you, what is that expression about laying down with dogs? Uh, you know. well, yeah, and, and, and you know, uh, Glenn Greenwell, the, the Guardian reporter who's been reporting an awful lot of this information, has, has made the claim that he, Greenwald, already possesses enough information to keep these storylines going on almost indefinitely. So does that make Greenwald a co-conspirator? Because, you know, he's worried about his own uh, reputation at this point. Yeah, and I think he has. he's earned the right to be worried. Um, I know, you know, we've had a bit of a dust up here with Fox News's James Rosen being named a co-conspirator in one of the Department of Justice's affidavits in front of the court. Um, you know, I'm not a lawyer. I'm not going to try to make a definitive statement. But it does seem as if Greenwald, whom reports now suggest, was in communications with Snowden well before Snowden left Oahu, was in communications with Snowden as Snowden was developing and then executing his plan to gather as much information as possible, who now has, according to his own admissions, thousands of documents that Snowden has has provided him. Um, well, that doesn't feel like independent journalism to me. Well, yeah, and I can understand from the government standpoint, they'd rather see people take the position that, say, the New York Times did with the Pentagon paper, maybe edit some of the things that might be extremely harmful. We have to take our last break, and when uh, we come back, we'll talk to General Hayden uh, about uh, more about the security issues and uh, what lies ahead. You're listening to the Costa Report. If you listen to the news today, you might come away with the impression that our biggest challenges are political and economic. But if this were true, then countries which have different political and economic systems would be facing different problems. But they aren't. Every government and every nation is struggling with job creation, debt, immigration, climate change, terrorism, health care, energy, and wild swings in financial markets. So something else must be going on. That's why I'm inviting you to get a copy of The Watchman's Rattle, a book which shows how the Roman, Mayan, and Khmer empires once faced similar challenges and what we can do to avoid their fate. Visit RebeccaCosta.com today and get a copy of The Watchman's Rattle, because once you do, you'll never look at the world the same way. I'm here today with Scott Caraccioli of Caraccioli Cellars. Now, there's a number of ways you can taste wines at the tasting room. Talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah, we currently have nine different wines on our tasting menu, and we really want it to be an experience where you get to taste the wine that you want to taste. So if you want to taste Pinot, you can really focus your flight around that. If you wanted to focus on the bubbles, we have three different sparklings that will allow you to build your flight that way. Or if you came in and you just wanted to taste one wine, we would uh, have it set up for you to be able to do that as well. Now, what's a flight? 
A flight is basically a combination of small tastes of different wines. If you wanted to taste all of our different Chardonnays, you could taste the 2007 Chardonnay, the 2008, and the 2009, and we would line you up with an individual taste of each of them. Thank you for being with us again, Scott. Thank you, Rebecca. Severino's Bar and Grill in Aptos is always busting with excitement. You'll get a family atmosphere, casual dining in or outdoor on the patio next to the koi pond and waterfall. Tasty salads, appetizers, and affordable entrees. Happy hour every day from 3 to 6. If it's live music you enjoy, they have it. Thursday, Friday, and Saturday nights. Sports? Watch the games on the five flat screens. Severino's Bar and Grill is a great place to meet friends and family. Severino's Bar and Grill, inside the Sea Cliff Inn on Highway 1 in Aptos. Cliffin.com. When the going gets tough, you need to call Aldolfo Garcia. Recently, we needed some work done here at the radio station. We called Community Tree Service. That's Adolfo Garcia's company. He showed up immediately from the phone call. We said what we wanted done, which was a huge amount of work done. He and his staff were here at 8 o'clock the next morning. They followed all safety procedures. Community Tree Service are fully insured, and I was very impressed at the way they cleaned up the area after they'd finished working and clearing a huge amount of brush and trees. I love, love, love Community Tree Service. Adolfo Garcia is the owner of a local business. You can reach them at communitytreeservice.net. You can reach them at 763-2391. If you've got a job to do when the going gets tough, Community Tree Service gets going. I love this company. Have you ever watched a group of motorcycles roar on by and wonder, who are those guys? Where are they going? Well, now you can eavesdrop in on their biker world right here on KSCO 1080. A half hour of biker news, clues, and interviews with me, Biker Bob, and some of the motorcycling world's interesting celebrities. Biker Bob Radio on KSCO 1080. Don't miss Biker Bob Radio every Sunday at 3.30 right here on AM 1080 KSCO. Remember, that's Sunday at 3.30 on KSCO. Welcome back to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and my guest today is General Michael Hayden. So, General, are are cases like the Snowden, Fox News, and WikiLeaks case uh, changing the way reporters have to look at information they receive, which might present a potential security risk? Um, How how would you like to see that kind of information handled by the press? Yeah, and and, and your premise is correct. It's changing the way reporters are doing their job, and that's not entirely good news. Even from somebody of my background, Rebecca, who's... Mm -hmm you know, spent decades wringing my hands about some of the things that have appeared in the press. Even I understand that a free press is essential to our freedoms. And and so and so I, I frankly felt that the Rosen thing was a was a was an overreach by the Department of Justice. The the blanket um court order against associated press phone numbers I thought was was an overreach by the Department of Justice. I mean, the last thing you want is to chill legitimate journalism in this country because free people depends upon the free flow of information. Now, all that said, you know, I'm a security guy. I'm 40 years in the Air Force and a lot of that in intelligence. I don't like to see things that are, that are legitimately classified out there in the public domain. So I frankly don't have a solution for this. This is a condition to be managed, not a problem to be solved. But I, I will say this, though, Rebecca, when, when you talk to the best of journalists, and you and you and I here's what I used to do as director of CIA mm-hmm. when an issue was so important it got to my level. I would actually call the editor or the publisher and I would begin by saying, Look, I understand we both have a job to do in keeping America safe and free. Yes. But I'm afraid the way you're about to go do your job is gonna make it harder for me to do mine, so let's talk. And I would win three out of four of those, Rebecca. 
And I believe you because I think there's a way that information can be made public without uh, necessarily specifics that will harm the country more than it will help. Uh, And, uh, you know, we live in a in a tricky time uh, where everything's out in the public. Right. Uh, And uh, but that's not necessarily a good thing, because when it's out in the uh, in the public in in the United States, it's out internationally. There's no way to just just speak to the American citizenry. And we really do have to understand that um, while there's information our government would like us to have, well, when they release release it to us, they release it to terrorists, too. So uh, we you know, we have to start living in the real world. And uh, and the real world is a cyber world. And you've spoken about this. You've spoken about cybersecurity. Um, we now know that the Chinese military was sponsoring a program to hack into U.S. computers. And and we've got satellites which can take a picture of me standing in my kitchen eating a sandwich. And and uh, we've got these new web bots which uh, surveil and collect information all over the Internet. I, I argue that the amount of information that's being collected about me from Neiman Marcus is far more than what the NSA is doing. <laughs> I mean, yeah, a, a consumer surveillance is, is you know, they, they know more about me than I know about me. So given this uh, digital world we live in, do, do we need to change our expectations of privacy? We have already changed our expectations of privacy. We, we have. And, and in fact, the, the Snowden example is, is one tip of a very large or multifaceted iceberg. The, the whole question, Rebecca, of, of big data is something we have to come to grips with as a society. I mean, look, I mean, I'm, I've got my, my iPhone here on the desk. I, I walk downtown here in, in, in D.C. Uh, the Groupon coupons are going to start popping up. I yeah. actually think that's a great thing. But in order for that to happen, you know what Groupon has to know about me, right? <laughs> right. What are my tastes? Where am I? <laughs> what, are, what are my past buying habits and so on? Uh, there's both good news and bad news with big data, and we need to have an adult conversation in our country as to what it is we want to do. Back to your question about cyber and, and cyberspace and cybersecurity and, and the role of the government. What I, what I tell folks, Rebecca, is that we as a people, The American people have not yet decided what it is we want our government to do to protect us in cyberspace or what it is we will let our government do to protect us. Yeah, we have an ambivalence about that. We want protection, but we don't want to give up privacy. And there can be no protection without some information being available to the government. There just can't be. Both those things can't be. Well, I mean, look, uh, I've been criticized personally on the Hill and, and, and other fora saying you have got to know when there are terrorists in the United States who are going to do us harm. Well, the question I now ask with the things we've talked about for the last three quarters of an hour, well, how would you do that? You need to find out <laughs> how, how these terrorists are here without having some knowledge. That's right. Well, let's talk a little bit about all these contractors that are working for the government, you know, because as the economy has gotten rougher, as you know, we've retained more and more contractors, right? Right. And and so um, these contractors come in, and my question is, do we need more firewalls, like cyberspace firewalls and compartmentalization? Because I remember, I'm just old enough to remember that during the development of the, the first atomic bomb in Los Alamos, one of the ways that security was maintained is that each work group only knew what was necessary to complete their task. And very few people had the full picture, except for a few people at the top. So has the digital world made it too easy to share information indiscriminately? Of course it has. I mean, we, 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 we all know that. I mean, you know, now, now data is forever, right? That's why we tell our kids, be careful what you put on your Facebook page. It will last for all eternity. So, yes, it has made it more difficult. But, but, but Rebecca, this is fundamentally a different question than the question about contractors and government employees. Mm-hmm. This is... This is how much advantage do you want to gain by sharing information and what price are you willing to pay to do that with regard to the security of the information? And, and that's the real question. Yeah, it is the real question. And I think, I don't know, from my standpoint, an over-reliance on outside contractors just doesn't in my gut feel safe. 
Well, but, but, but you know, okay, so let's go to Snowden because we've been talking about him. Mm-hmm. He worked for he worked for Booz Allen uh, when he was out on Oahu working at NSA mm-hmm. Hawaii. Booz Allen didn't clear him. The federal government cleared him. Mm-hmm. The federal government the federal government controls all of these, and I can tell you, as director of two big three letter agencies. Um, we were as conscientious about clearing contractors as we were about government employees. And so, and so if there's a fault here, mm-hmm. it's not the contractor, it's the way the government clears anyone. I mean, keep in mind, Manning wasn't a contractor, he was a soldier. That's correct. Um, yeah. Hansen was an FBI employee. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ames was a CIA officer. And so it's, it's about the clearance process. It's, it's not about... We call it green versus blue because government employees wear blue badges and contractors wear green badges. Now, I, I will admit, though, Rebecca, you talked about if, uh, about expense. Mm-hmm. I would make the claim since 9-11, our use of contractors has been incredibly effective. I would never make the claim that since 9-11, our use of contractors was in any way efficient. We... We have not managed it well, but contractors have enabled us to do things we would not otherwise have been able to do. Well, that's a that's a good point to end on uh, because I do believe that uh, many of the contractors have offered skills and talents, particularly in the IT area, which uh, the government needed and reached out and had the good sense to bring in. Um, that is all the time we have left. But before we say goodbye, I'd like to take this opportunity to thank you for your service to our country, General. Thank you for being with us. That, that's very kind, and I, and I will accept that on behalf of all those really good folks who are still there with an oar in their hand, rowing away. Thank you so much for being with us, and come back soon. Okay, thanks, Rebecca. Bye-bye. If your station is leaving us after this hour and you'd like to comment on today's program, you can email me at RebeccaCosta.com or find us on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn. Uh, We're pretty much everywhere on the net and easy to find. And if you missed the full interview with General Hayden today, you can download the program from our website, Apple iTunes and Podbeam, as well as our brand new YouTube channel. And just a short reminder, if you haven't picked up your copy of The Watchman's Rattle, a book which explains why the collapse of every organization and civilization has an identifiable prelude and what signs to look for, please, please take a moment now and go to our website, RebeccaCosta.com or Amazon.com and order your copy today. My my guest next week was voted Emerging Entrepreneur of the Year and landed a spot on Time Magazine's Top 50 Inventions list. Mr. Jason Lukash will be with us to talk about innovation in America. Is it dead or alive? Don't miss Jason Lukash right here on the Costa Report, the one program you can count on week after week to put principles ahead of politics. Now stay tuned for the second hour of the Costa Report when we hear what you have to say. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.